Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Today, I'll be talking with Dr. Sarah Bren. Sarah is a licensed clinical psychologist and mom of two whose passion is helping parents find their inner confidence and raise healthy, resilient kids. Dr. Sarah is the host of the podcast, Securely Attached and the creator of the parenting courses, The Authentic Parent, Finding Your Confidence in Parenthood and the Science of Tantrums. She is the co-founder of Upshur Brand Psychology Group in Pelham, New York, where she treats parents, children, and families. If you are looking for workshops and courses relevant to our topic today, you can check them out in the show notes. In today's episode, we talk about co-regulation and why it is crucial in the parent-child dynamic. We will also discuss how to self-regulate and practice co-regulation with our kids and so much more. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode, this podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All right, everybody. Today we have Dr. Sarah Bren. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. So today we are going to talk about parenting and self-regulation co-regulation. And so I feel like we should probably start off with just having you tell us a little bit about what is co-regulation, what is self-regulation when it comes to parenting and our children. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a lot of talk about regulation and co-regulation, but I think sometimes people don't always know exactly what we're talking about when Mm -hmm. we do it. Because a lot of times I'll see parents co-regulating with a child or attempting to and they're actually overstimulating. You know, they're, they're saying a lot of words and the kid's getting like more and more upset and they're like, I'm trying to co-regulate and it's not working. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people think of co-regulation and a lot, a lot of the ways we teach strategies for co-regulation often look like this, but you really have to know kind of like what the function of it is first and then you work backwards from there. Mm-hmm. So the function of co-regulation is to help bring a child's fight or flight response turn it off and bring them back down to like baseline or homeostasis. And we do that by communicating to their amygdala, which is the part of their brain that's, I call it the threat detector. It's always scanning the environment for danger. If it detects a threat, it pulls the fire alarm and the body goes into that fight or flight response, that threat response. Mm -hmm. And we want to communicate to the amygdala, it's safe. You can turn off that that threat response and come back, you know, back to yourself, back to the part of the brain that goes offline when the amygdala pulls that fire alarm is the prefrontal cortex. And that's our thinking brain. It's where all of our like higher level thought processes happen. So like perspective taking, rational thinking, problem solving, inhibition of impulse, right? Hitting the brakes. Those are all things that go offline when we're in fight or flight. And so we want that part to come back on because that's how we get our kids to cooperate and do things and be pro-social little beings who we like to be around. But the prefrontal cortex is where like the language is. And a lot of times we try to talk to the prefrontal cortex when we are co-regulating. And sometimes we can and sometimes that works. But if you're really in fight or flight, it's actually a lot of the nonverbal body language and sort of more subtle cues that the amygdala, which is not a verbal part of the brain, is actually going to be reading Mm -hmm. to then decide, okay, I can turn off my threat response and come Mm -hmm. back down to baseline. Now, this was something I feel like as a parent, 
it took me so long to try to figure all this out. And I'm sure like as a psychologist, you you had this, you know, idea of, okay, when I have my own kids, I want to make sure that I am able to, you know, like co-regulate with them in this certain way. And for me, and if, you know, other people that might not have a clue and didn't go into psychology, it's like, what is she talking about? Mm-hmm. Give me some examples. And I'm going to, I'll give it one of my little examples And then hopefully you can give us some more too. So every kid is totally different. And, you know, some will go into fight or flight over, you know, something like literally spilled milk. And some Mm -hmm. will go into fight or flight over something that is very genuine, like something that, like, I don't know, a bear is chasing you, you know, like something like Mm -hmm. that. And every child is so different and they're on this, this wide spectrum. And all four of my kids are somewhere different on that spectrum. Mm -hmm. And so it took me, I mean, I'm, I, Still not, I'm still probably trash at it, to be honest, but I try my best. And we have one of our our children, she tends to be that fight or flight, that immediate fire fight. So the other day she comes downstairs, totally slept 12 hours. She needs 12 hours of sleep. Mm -hmm. And you know, some of my other kids are like eight and they're good and they they're fine. She she's the 12 hour sleeper. She comes down and you can kind of tell like right off the bat, you know, you're like, okay, Mm -hmm. am I gonna need to, you know? (laughs) And I know that. I have a I have a kiddo like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, absolutely love her. And to be honest with you, I think she's me, right? Like when I was younger. But anyway, so she comes down and the kids were kind of setting up at the table. There's pancakes in the middle of the table. And our three-year-old had set up in this chair that apparently she was eyeing, but like never sat there, never put anything there, like just in her head was sitting there. Right. Mm-hmm. And so she, she's like, why is she in my chair? Mm-hmm. And we were all like, wait, who, what, what? And she's like, that chair. And we were like, uh, what? she, I don't know, like she just sat there, like you didn't put your stuff down or anything. And she's like, yeah, but that's the chair that I wanted. You know, that mm-hmm. she just from there and I, in my, so it's taken me a long time to get here because in my head, I'm like, why is she like, this was me, you know, years ago where I was like, why is she doing this? Like, this doesn't make any yeah. sense. Like just sit somewhere else. Like, you know, like as an adult who's learned somewhat to self-regulate, right? Uh-huh. It's something that you learn over time. You're like, I don't understand what, what the problem is here. Like, why can't she figure this out? And now yeah. I understand, well, no, like kids all need to be taught these things, right? They all need to be taught and some need to have different tools in their toolbox. And so all I did was I looked at her and I was like, okay. I was like, Lindsay, like take it down. Everything's okay. Like she just needs a hug. Mm -hmm. So I went over, I like squatted down, got right next to her, gave her this big old hug. And then she like melted into my arms, sat there for like 30 seconds. Then she got up totally fine, sat in another chair. Wow. Yeah. Like I said, this has taken me years to figure her out because you know, you could, I could have also squatted and tried to talk to her, but I can tell you that won't work with her. She'll just mm-hmm. escalate and go to that next level. Like you said, it's like you're trying to talk to the prefrontal cortex. It's not going to work with some kids. And it certainly doesn't work with her. She just, it's a sh- total shutdown. And if I'm trying to tap into that and get her to analyze the situation differently, she shuts down. And so all she needs for the most part usually is this nonverbal body language. And once I figured that out, it made my life a whole hell of a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, like crazy. So I don't know if you have other examples, but that one for me, once I figured that out as a mom, like, and once I figured out what she needed as my child, it was like, oh my gosh. And you know, there obviously sometimes that also won't work. You know what I mean? Like it, it, every situation is going to be different, but for the most part, that is what works for her when she is in that moment. Yeah. And I think that you bring up such a really good point in that in that illustration, which is that, you know, one, for maybe other kids at that exact same table who are also your children, you could have said if they had the same, you know, initial like, oh my God, I was going to sit in that chair. What are you doing? You might be able to say, oh, you really wanted that chair. And that's feeling frustrating for you. And they would have felt, Okay, you got me. Mm-hmm. Okay, that feels good. All mm-hmm. right, I'm. I'm. I can come back. Uh, yeah, now I feel seen, and I and I can kind of come back online. And I'm, I'm. I'm. That was all I needed. But you have to have a kid, like you said, that that could one be sort of sort of regulated enough to take mm-hmm. in that language and make sense of it. Right. But if they're full gone, that's not really going to work. And so it's like you have to figure out what works for your kid. And like I also have a kid who, and she's my, my younger one. So like my first one was really 
laid back, just temperamentally. He's mm-hmm. a pretty easygoing kid. He's he just his emotionality isn't super super wide ranging. You know, it's not mm-hmm. super high highs and super low lows. He's just generally pretty even keel. And so I was like, damn, I'm so I got this right. <laughs> and then I had my daughter, and I was like, oh wait, it's not me. It's the kid. Okay, all right, let's mm-hmm. figure out what works for her. But it it took me a long time of doing a lot of talking and realizing, like. She can't tolerate that. It's Mm -hmm. really overstimulating for her. And so how I co-regulate with my son is very different than how I co-regulate with my daughter. And it's sometimes trial and error. Another thing like for, you know, different kids is not just like the language piece, but also like how much they like, what are things I usually say, like there are certain types of stimulation that kids find regulating and certain types of stimulation that kids find dysregulating and it can be very unique to each kid. Mm-hmm. So for example, my son when he's really upset, when I can't talk cuz even with him like it gets to a point where like words are just not going to make it better, he likes to be sort of like squeezed, right? He wants like to sit in my lap and to be hugged and like comforted with touch and with pressure. Mm-hmm. If I were to touch my daughter when she's having a meltdown, I'm going to get hurt. (laughs) That doesn't help. That's not Mm -hmm. calming for her. It's Mm -hmm. activating for her. And so what what she needs from me is actually physical space and then my calm response. Like I need a lot of times like what she like needs from me is for me to sit like three feet away from her and just stay quiet. Mm -hmm. And sometimes even that's too much. And she's like, go away. And I need to like leave her room and and she's Four now. So, th- but this is, you know, it's taken me a year, couple years to figure this out. But, like, mm-hmm. it's not, she's not that old that she's, a lot of people think, like, if they're four, like, I don't want to leave them all by themselves. Like, she's four. She's not that old. And I will leave and go to the other side of the room or go, like, outside the door and let mm-hmm. it and shut it and be like, I'm here when you need me, you can come out. And so, but again, it's trial and error, which I think is another thing that kind of messes with parents' heads is they think that there's one secret thing that should work. And like, there isn't like, you kind of have to figure out what works for your kids by trying on a lot of different stuff and figuring it out. Cause each kid is really unique in that way. But again, that's why I think the function, understanding what I'm, tr- what's the ultimate goal? What am I trying to do and how I do it might look different at different moments or with different kids. But what I'm trying to do is communicate a sense of safety to their brain, mm-hmm. you know, with the part of the brain that's on and taking in and processing information right now, mm-hmm. which is not the language part. But I know we talk, I'm like using sort of brain science-y terms, but like the most simple way I can explain co-regulation, the most distilled, simplistic way is how do you share your calm nervous system with theirs mm-hmm. and help that, you just share your calm with them. Mm-hmm. That's co-regulation. And, you know, you mentioned your daughter screaming, like, go away, or, you know, every kid will do this at some point, or, you know, some more than others. But, mm-hmm. you know, when something like this happens, and maybe either you're talking a lot, or, you know, whatever, you're trying to figure it out and trying to co-regulate, and they say these things, or they'll say, oh, what did my son say the other day? Um, oh, my gosh. So he came out of the car, and he was not allowing his sister out first. Like he was trying to like trample over her basically to get out of the car. <laughs> and, you know, my husband was like, well, you know, you can't, you can't do that. Like you, you let your sister out, sister out first. And so he, I think he felt maybe ashamed or something that he, you know, didn't allow her out first or something. And so he got out of the car and he's like, I'm not even part of this family. And mm-hmm. we both looked at each other and we were like, where did that come from? <laughs> mm-hmm. But kids will oftentimes like what they're saying is what their ultimate like worst fear would be, which is another thing that I learned, you know, throughout parenting over the years is like when they say those things or like go away, their absolute worst fear would for you to be go- going away. Like yeah. for you to leave your daughter completely and go downstairs and just forget, you know, you quote unquote forget right. about it. You know what I mean? Exactly. And so when they say that to you, it's like, they still want you in their presence. They want you there. Yeah. And sometimes that most of the time that presence is kind of like just the silent, like, well, I'm here if you need me, you know, and I'll be here until you're ready or whatever it is. Yeah. And like with my son, he was just sitting out in the driveway. So I just sat with him and I was like, 
you know, buddy, like we love you in this family. And, you know, like we just have to be courteous of others when we're trying to get out of the car. That's all. I'm just going to sit with you until you're ready to go inside. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, no, no, no. You know, like screaming. And so I just sat next to him and then we went inside in like five minutes, you know. But, you know, it's like it's it's taken so long to get there because, you know, the old me would have just been like, oh, my gosh, like that's not the case at all. And just like kind of yeah. just the streamline of word vomit. Right, that mm-hmm. he in his brain was probably like, uh, like what is she talking about? Yeah, yeah. And then just running away, and like you'd already be like, they can't. Their brain, it's almost like implodes. Like, why is she still talking to me? <laughs> I right, don't understand. Totally. I always, I always refer to that as lava. Right, when yeah. our kids are totally like losing it, and these things come out of their mouth, it's lava. And I'm always like, don't dissect the lava. Don't yeah. talk to the lava. Yeah. Just see it as lava. So mm-hmm. when they say like, I hate you or mm-hmm. you hate me or I don't want to be a part of this family or like, I am not inviting you to my birthday party, which I get a lot of because right now birthday parties are a real status like thing. <laughs> <laughs> that is their weapon of choice. Oh. You are not invited to my birthday party. And I'm like, okay, good luck well, having yeah, a good birthday, luck having party. A birthday party. <laughs> not going to have any birthday party. Right. But so. but so but it's like I could I could sort of say and and sometimes we go to a place of anger like you can't mm-hmm. talk to me like that and like right. you know that's not kind. So we could sometimes dissect the lava in a in a sort of disciplinary way. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we dissect the lava by we feel guilty or scared or mm-hmm. or, or hurt by that statement and so we want to you know turn it off or get them to walk it back. No, you don't mean that, or like, or, or I, I do love you, and I would never want, which is all, all may be true. All those things, like, yes, if your kid is saying something really hurtful, you might want to help them learn that that language is hurtful, but not then, later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If your kid is saying something like accusing you of hating them, you may very reasonably want them to know how much you love them, but later, not mm-hmm. then. Don't mm-hmm. dissect the lava in the moment because it's pointless. And it's like much better, I think, for us as parents because it helps us stay regulated, more regulated, mm-hmm. if we can sort of depersonalize the content of the lava and say, like, okay, this is lava versus like I'm listening to the words and what they mean and trying to figure out how I feel about that. That's not going to serve anybody. And we're more likely to then get activated. It's really, really hard to co-regulate if you mm-hmm. yourself aren't regulated, mm-hmm. like that's kind of a critical component for co-regulation. So, and and probably the hardest one, honestly. Right. Like it could take a long time to co-regulate with a child, but it you can't even start it if you're hot. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's a good segue into. Can you talk a little bit more about just self-regulation in general and what that means, and how does that influence our you know our child's own development? Yeah. So, well. In many ways, but in terms of co-regulation, it's just really simple. You can't co-regulate if you're not regulated because there's no calm to share, right? Mm -hmm. So before you can effectively co-regulate, you're going to have to figure out a way to like calm down, even if it's and and you don't need to be at a a, you know a zen like level one out of ten. You can co-regulate if you're just a little bit below them. (laughs) You know, you can if they're at a ten and you're at a seven, you could effectively, in theory, co-regulate them down to a seven, right? Mm It's usually more impactful if you're at a five and you could get them from a 10 to an eight. Mm -hmm. So also we want realistic expectations. It doesn't always mean like if I'm coming at this from a really calm place that my child should be able to then flip a switch and come meet me where I'm at. It doesn't look like that. Mm -hmm. It's a big myth about co-regulation that like if I'm successfully co-regulating that the outcome is a calm child. That doesn't necessarily mean that. It just means you've in, you've activated a descent but that descent could take a very long time to finish descending mm-hmm. but to the point of like what does self regulation do in terms of our child's development so in the moment obviously it's helpful as a tool but in the bigger bigger picture is this idea of like our kids are learning all the time constantly whether we like it or not right they're learning from all the things that we're doing uh, whether we're in our best moments or our worst moments. And so modeling is probably one of the most useful teaching tools a parent has. And so when we are engaging in self-regulation, and it's awesome if we are, can do it in a transparent way some of the times, like narrate our process in the moment. Mm-hmm. If, you know, 
helps just make the invisible a little bit visible for our kids. Like, oh, God, I'm so frustrated by this thing right now. Oh, okay. You know what? I'm going to, okay, I'm going to take a second. Let me just, let me take a breath. <sighs> okay. I'm starting to notice, like I'm cooling off a little bit. Ah, I got really hot there for a second. You know, like, mm-hmm. and again, if your kid's dysregulated, not that, don't do that then. <laughs> this is more like <laughs> if you guys are in the kitchen and everyone's kind of chill and you genuinely got frustrated by something, Mm -hmm. and you have the bandwidth to sort of regulate out loud, that's great. Don't do that all the time, though, because I think that's super inauthentic if we, like, actually did that. But my point (laughs) is to illustrate it sometimes. If you're working on this for a kid specifically who needs to build these skills, you might intentionally kind of help them understand what your process is. Yeah. Also, just the fact that you're probably regulating all the time without narrating that process, or maybe even without being consciously aware that you're ha- that it's happening. If you practice self-regulation skills regularly and relatively well, your kids are going to kind of learn that by osmosis. Whereas if you really lack self-regulation skills and it's an area that you know you you may want to work on, if you're not working on it, chances are there's going to be a lot of just sort of like explosive energy in your home and your kids Mm -hmm. are going to feel that. And they're probably also going to like, there's an absence of self-regulation modeling for, Mm -hmm. so there's an absence of that opportunity for them to be learning it. Can you give us some examples of, so, you know, I think we have a couple good examples of what it is it to, you know, be able to co-regulate with your child and like the different Mm -hmm. ways we can do that. But what are some, like maybe even some examples of a parent with a child where the adult is not able to, is not self-regulating in that moment and what it might look like. And then maybe backtracking and telling us what that adult could do differently to be able to co-regulate with their child. Does that make sense? Yes, totally. And it might just so this doesn't feel preachy, I can give you an example of just myself because I definitely, I teach co-regulation and I stuff, I, I, I absolutely am not always regulated with my kids. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll think of an example where like I lost it with my kids and then mm-hmm. what I could have done differently just yeah. to show that it, <laughs> we're all human here. I was working kind of late on, I had to work late. So bed, I had to work after my kids' bedtime. Mm-hmm. And so I had this internal sense of urgency, which my kids just had their spidey senses. If I have urgency around bedtime, no matter how much I think I'm faking it, they feel it and they Mm -hmm. don't respond well. (laughs) So I knew I had this thing, this call that I had to get on and I was doing my kids' bedtime and I was definitely, and I don't know in the moment if I was aware of it of my urgency. This was like in retrospect, I realized, wow, yeah, I was really being impatient. Mm -hmm. But they were in the bath and I have have two kids and one is six, one's four. And they were in the bath and they were spraying water. And I had said, water has to stay in the tub. Like you have to stop. And they like kept splashing and, and I got all wet. And I was like, that's it. Bath time's over. I'm draining the tub, get out. And I like, got them out of the tub and they were super mad that I, you know, ended Mm -hmm. the fun. And I was like, you go in your room, you go in your room and we're not doing any more playtime, just bed, like, let's go. And they were not super thrilled with that. And they, you know, my daughter started crying and my son like was negotiating and basically long story short, bedtime took way, way, way longer (laughs) than I wanted it to. Mm -hmm. And I was you know, just really irritated the whole time. And and it was just this icky, very unproductive and very delayed night that was like, it just felt like a disaster. Mm-hmm. And so in retrospect, what I think would have been much more helpful for me in that moment was, and again, I couldn't even do this at this time. So like I, I a lot of the things I'm going to say might feel hard to do, but I, I think it's good to, it's like you take one of these pieces and you work on it at mm-hmm. a time. I'm going to give you all the things I could have done, but if I tried to do all those things differently, it would be too big of a task. So it's like, just pick one and work on that for a little while. But the first thing that I would do is look back and be like, what was I coming into that exchange with that had nothing to do with my kids? And for me in that moment, it was my sense of urgency and my agenda that did not match up with their agenda. Mm -hmm. And so if I could become more aware of my own stuff that I'm bringing to an interaction. And it could be, 
I talk about it in terms of like, what are my vulnerabilities in that moment? There's like current state vulnerabilities. Am I hungry? Am I tired? Am I thirsty? <laughs> like, did I not eat dinner because I was, you know, eating their scraps because I didn't sit down and actually make myself food either? Or, you know, what are my current state vulnerabilities? Those can be, make us more likely to lose it. But then there's also like personal history vulnerabilities. What are things that my kids do that trigger me? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, getting water on the floor is very, I don't like that. Like, cause I'm like, oh, my husband's all like paranoid about water damage and we live in an older house. And I was like, you can't get water on the floor because it's going to go into the floorboards and it's going to mess up. Like we'll get mold. So like, that's mm-hmm. a trigger for me. Like I just have, so maybe I need to be thinking about, okay, do we need to put towels down outside the bath so I don't get activated by that? Mm-hmm. So I don't care so much about this. Right. Or what are the other type of vulnerability is like temperament vulnerabilities. So what are my sort of vulnerabilities? Am I, I'm really sensitive to loud noises. So if they're screaming or making really loud sounds or there are other types of like overstimulation happening, those are all types of vulnerabilities that make me more likely to lose it. Mm -hmm. So just noticing what are my vulnerabilities? What are my temperament and like sort of physiological vulnerabilities? What are my current state vulnerabilities? In this case, for me, the current state was like a sense of urgency because of time, timing, but also probably I was hungry and thirsty and tired. <laughs> and then I was overstimulated by the sounds. There was something they were doing that I know is triggering to me. So just having awareness of that doesn't mean you can always control for it, but it gives, it creates a little bit more space. Right. And then also like, I think in general, if you do lose it and you yell at your kids, we could talk about repair because I think that's really mm-hmm. helpful. But like a lot of times like depersonalizing the thoughts and the emotions that I might be having, like okay, they're they're not listening. They're doing this on purpose. I'm so focused on what I'm not going to be doing, which is getting to work on time. Those are all things that are going to make me more emotionally reactive. Whereas if I can kind of check my thinking and say, they are not doing this on purpose, that reduces some of my emotionality. If I'm thinking they're being really playful and they really just want this to feel good and have have fun right now, that increases my like empathy for them and mm-hmm. my sort of sense of connection to them. Some radical acceptance, like, you know what, I may not make it on time to this meeting and there's nothing I can do about that in this moment. And the more I fight that, the more likely I am to delay everything also can like help. So sometimes it's like noticing our thoughts and challenging them or shifting them in the moment. And then if we can't change the feeling, sometimes it's just about physiologically regulating our body. So if I I have all those vulnerabilities, they're all getting hit. I am having all these thoughts. They're all, you know, I can't challenge them or notice them. I'm just feeling it. If I can notice the feeling, what I can do is like start to try to turn my fight or flight response off, right? Like, so just like when we're co-regulating with our child, we're trying to sort of turn off their threat response. When we're trying to self-regulate, we're trying to turn off our threat response. Mm -hmm. We can do that cognitively by changing our thinking, but we can also do that physiologically by like taking deep breaths, doing things that activate our parasympathetic nervous system, which is the opposite of our sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight or flight system. Mm -hmm. But so deep breaths, progressive muscle relaxation, doing even just like if it's really intense, putting your face in cold water or like grabbing an ice cube, you know, pressing, like pressing your hands up like against a wall or together, like that isometric pressure is, can be really regulating. There's, there are lots of things that we can do to kind of physiologically calm ourselves down when we're hot. This podcast episode is brought to you by Earth Breeze. Did you know that the amount of plastic that is actually recycled is only around 5%? The vast majority of the plastic that people place into their blue recycling bins ends up in landfills and not reused. This is because many of them do not meet the threshold of being recyclable according to certain standards. This is even more of a reason to switch over to Earth Breeze laundry sheets and ditch your large plastic containers of laundry detergent. The laundry sheets will arrive at your doorstep in a small box that looks like a box of dryer sheets. The packaging is lightweight and biodegradable. To give you an idea of how much space you would save in your laundry room, you can fit 720 loads of sheets where you used to fit just one 60-load detergent jug. Each sheet is a liquidless laundry detergent that dissolves 100% in any wash cycle. 
Just toss that sheet in with your laundry and you're good to go. No mess with the liquid detergent. My favorite part is that it makes it much easier for our kids to do their own laundry now. They can throw their laundry in with a sheet and voila, it's done. I just restocked our laundry sheets and purchased both the scented and unscented. The unscented sheets are great for our daughter's sensitive skin. These sheets are hypoallergenic and dermatologist tested, so you don't need to worry about it affecting anyone's skin when you switch over. Earth Breeze is compatible with high efficiency washers, gray water systems, and septic safe for those of you that have a septic system like us. You can set up a flexible subscription that is easily adjustable and can be paused or canceled at any time. I love that we no longer have to buy those large plastic jugs that take up space in our laundry room, and this makes it much easier for our kids to help us do the laundry. This is just another way to help our environment, which is so incredibly important right now. Try Earth Breeze risk-free. They will give you a full refund if you are not satisfied with the product. No questions asked. Switch from the old-fashioned goo to something new. Right now, my listeners can subscribe to Earth Breeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash Lindsay, that's L-Y-N-Z-Y, to get started. That's earthbreeze.com slash Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y, for 40% off. Yeah, I, you, you mentioned just, I think, you know, kids so very often just feed off of our energy and mm-hmm. we very well might not think we've given away anything about what's mm-hmm. going on in our own lives, but somehow, some way these children always know, which I think is, first of all, it's really cool that they're mm-hmm. able to like pick up on those things, right? When we've woken up for the day and we haven't even said a word. They like already are aware. Like on Monday, I had a procedure that was scheduled and I have been dreading this forever. Like I put it off for very, like many, many months. I just don't like being put under anesthesia. I mean, I don't think a lot of people do. (laughs) So fancy that. (laughs) I fancy that. I am not a good patient. I am like really the opposite of good patient. I, and I don't even like I'm in the medical field and I and my husband yells at me because he's like, I don't yeah, I don't ask any questions. Like I don't care. I don't want to know anything about anything. <laughs> That's so bad. So he's like, Lindsay, what exactly, you know, because he didn't come with me to these appointments. And he's like, what exactly, you know, is he gonna be doing when he's in there? And I was like, honey, I don't know. And he's like, I don't understand. What do you mean you don't know? <laughs> anyway, so you know, it's like I I was already activated the second I woke up and I came downstairs and, you know, I started getting all the things ready for the kids because I had to head in. My husband was going to drive me straight to the hospital right after we dropped everybody off at school. And it's like the second the kids came down, when I tell you Monday morning was literally one of the most chaotic mornings of probably our entire familyhood. (laughs) It was because... And and it's like I knew it in the moment that they were just feeding off of my nerves and my anxiety mm-hmm. of just being nervous and like getting there on time and just all of it. And in that moment, I wasn't able to just be like, hey, guys, you know, I know, you know, I might seem like I'm all over the place this morning and I might be, you know – raising my voice and 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 all of that is probably because, you know, mommy's nervous about something she's having done today and she's not even, you know, whatever, just voicing what was actually going on. But I was not able, you know, I wasn't in that type of a place. Like you said, like I just wasn't there and it wasn't going to yeah. happen. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I knew my kids were having a difficult time even getting out the door and it was due to uh, like just how I, my presence of just this jumbled up, tangled mess of nerves. <laughs> and it was like, mm-hmm. then all my children went off to school as these like bundled up, tangled bundle of nerves. And I'm just like, then you feel guilty because you're like, okay, the reason why they went to school this way is because of me. And they're just modeling what I was doing. It's <laughs> just this, yeah, you know, this domino effect of emotions. And it happens to every single one of us. And I think it goes to show you that how incredibly important, like you said, modeling can be because that's just a good example of like your kids really do feed off of you. And if you are able to recognize that in the moment and talk to them about it or, you know, do any of the things that you mentioned to try to get back down to a space where you can teach them something that is so, so important. And, you know, I'd love for you to talk about how, you know, when we're performing this co-regulation with our kids, like what are the short and long-term effects of this and how that how will this allow them to thrive as they as they go into adulthood 
Yeah. I think there's there are short and long term. So it's a good question. Cause I think in the short term, it just helps them to like get to a place they can't they might not be able to get to on their own or like would, but it would take a long time. Mm-hmm. So it's like short circuiting a longer potentially longer process, which is going to help with learning, right? Because Mm -hmm. if, if they, if it takes them like, you know, an hour and it's very, and it's a lot of ups and downs and ups and downs because we're getting hot and they're getting hot. Like eventually they calm down. That's not a real straight shot to like, I'm upset and I'm going to calm down. And so they're not going to learn as well. Now, co-regulation also doesn't mean like our kid, like I was saying before, it doesn't immediately mean that they calm down, but it's like a it's not a switch, right? It's not a light switch. It's like a dimmer switch. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do I help them feel safe enough to like deactivate the acceleration of the fight or flight response, right? But also as they are working their way back to homeostasis, back down, and it could be like, you know, it's not a straight line. It could be like a zigzaggy downward sloping line where we're helping their brain like make neural connections about what is helping them to do that. So there's learning that happens in that moment too. But I think in the long run, what's more important is there's like so many benefits that come from it, but it's like one, it teaches them that we can handle their feelings, that we, the parent, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we might sometimes be reactive to their feelings, but for the most part, like we, we think that the feelings that they have are actually safe. They're not comfortable. They're overwhelming. They might even be overwhelming to us sometimes, but for the most part, your anger is safe. Your anxiety, your fear is safe. Your rage is safe. Your sadness is safe. Your frustration is safe. So we're helping them kind of learn that the full range of emotional experience is Mm -hmm. all safe. It doesn't always Mm -hmm. feel comfortable. And sometimes it can be really, really overwhelming. But eventually, those feelings will come and go. That's another important thing that I think co-regulation teaches, especially if we process it afterwards, is that you aren't your feelings. Your feelings Mm -hmm. are actually these transient experiences that come and leave. And so that is really helpful for kids because kids, especially kids who get dysregulated a lot, who have really big feelings and really overwhelming emotional experiences, some, you know, they get, mel- they have meltdowns a lot. And a lot of mm-hmm. times they, they think they can learn like to think, okay, there's something wrong with me. Right. The environment can often reflect that back to them. Right. Right. But if we can help them say like, you're you and your feelings are not you, your feelings are something that comes and goes that can really help kids who do have a lot of intense emotions learn some important sort of like self-esteem things about like, okay, I'm not my feelings. My feelings come and go. They're not permanent. They don't define me. And so the more a kid feels, um, sort of sees themselves as separate from their emotions, I think over time, that's like the basis of self-regulation, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it helps with distress tolerance. It helps with the ability to eventually self-regulate. It it helps with self-esteem, confidence. Res- like it helps with a growth mindset. Like there's so many things that that are good that come out of this approach. I feel though that it's important. Like you're not done after you co-regulate. Like I think a lot of times parents who hear people talking about this are like, so that just teaches them that it's fine to do these things, and you know. I think they can get it confused with like a permissive stance. Mm-hmm. You can co-regulate in the moment because it's the most effective tool to get your kid's thinking brain back on. But once their thinking brain is back on, then you got to close the loop. You got to teach. It's just about using the right tool at the right time. Mm-hmm. So like co- effective co-regulation isn't the end of the of the task. But how you teach, you're going to have different strategies depending on like what is happening, what you're trying to teach them, how your kid learns and all that. So that could be a whole nother episode. And like, what do you do after you're done co-regulating to help teach them mm-hmm. discipline, right? Discipline means teaching. There's lots of strategies for that. But I think some people think, oh, co-regulation just means permissive. And I think that's that's a misunderstanding. It's like the first mm-hmm. step of a of a long, complicated process of parenting. Right. No, I mean, it makes a lot of sense because, I mean, as as we mentioned earlier, every kid varies so differently in how they need to be co-regulated. And so if I took my eight-year-old, for example, and, you know, I put her into a public setting and I don't know, she did something that 
you know, was unkind, right? And so I have to co-regulate with her. But I know that I can't go to go to those steps of trying to teach her anything in that moment. So I co-regulate her by getting down, maybe giving her a hug or just being there for her in that moment. And then I have to swing back around and we have to talk about the event that just happened, especially if it was something where she did something that, you know, I don't know, she said something or maybe threw something, whatever it might have been, where we have to talk about this. Like, this is not okay to do. But the whole point of co-regulating, if I'm not mistaken, is that we want our child, okay, to come back down to that place of being able to learn. And if we're just telling them, like, that was so unkind of you. Why would you do that? And now you hurt this person. And look at, they're crying. You need to apologize right now. All they feel is shame, and there's no forward progress there whatsoever because they're shutting down, and they feel ashamed, and it's in front of other people, and they're not able to process it at all. And so especially with her, I have to be like, okay, we're going to co-regulate right now by just being together. And everything needs to be nonverbal. And then once we're able to get back into a place where I know that you're able to understand and comprehend and and take in what I'm saying, then we talk about the actual event. And that happens very often with her. And I will tell you, significant progress made once I figured that out. Because once I know that she's in this place where it's usually she'll be like, oh, mom, tomorrow at school, like I have blah, blah, blah. She'll just jump right back into her day and act as if nothing happened. And I'm like, okay, we're back in a in a space where I can talk about this now. And I'll say, remember earlier when this happened and you might not have liked what you know had occurred. And so you reacted in a way that might not have been the nicest way to react. I wanted to talk to you about maybe some other ways that we could have handled the situation. And she's much more receptive and she's... Mm-hmm more likely to participate in the conversation. And if you think about your own self, right? Like I think about me and how I would want to be handled in that situation if I was with adults, for example, right? Yeah. Some other adult triggers you. I don't know. They start talking about something that you feel passionate about and then you lash into them. And then somebody comes in from the side and is like, that was unkind. And you know, whatever it might be. And you think to yourself about how that would feel in your own body. And you're like, oh, I... I don't think I would I I wouldn't want that to be my co-regulation strategy. I would want someone to come for me from the side and maybe just give me a hug because they know that what that other person said to me was really triggering for me and I needed to, you know, just like be more regulated in that moment and I needed that hug. And then you're able to kind of like come back down to earth and talk about the situation and so I've, you know, as an adult tried to just think this through like in my own brain. Because as adults, we're we're still learning about our own feelings just like kids are. And to be a kid and have none of these tools, you know, like you're born with none of these tools. (laughs) It's not like you're born and you're like, oh, I know how to self-regulate. And and when someone steals (laughs) my toy, I know exactly how to act. No, you don't. No one's taught you how to behave when someone steals your toy or when someone says something awful to you or whatever it might be, right? Like, or if someone takes your chair, no one has taught you the right way to handle or, you know, giving you the tools on like how to handle that situation. And I think as adults, it's, it's really, it, it's easy to forget that. Right. Right. I try to tell myself all that all the time, you know, like I'll even write things. What has helped me as a parent is to like, whatever you think you might struggle with the most. So you were saying before your triggers, right? I don't know, like the water outside the tub or whatever it is, whatever your triggers are, you can write down on a piece of paper. Okay. You might be feeling triggered right now and it's loud in here. Turn on some classical music. Like this is one of my tools and I always like turn on some classical music and I'll just listen to it for like a minute or two. And I'm like, okay, I can do this, but write yourself a note, put it in the middle of wherever you are the most, probably in the kitchen, you know, like put the note somewhere where you can see it. And anytime that you're feeling that way, if you just glance at it and you're like, okay, that's what I need to do. I need to go do that thing that I know helps me um, when I'm in that, you know, feeling of dysregulation and I need to do that thing. And, you know, I mean, every day, like I have a moment of dysregulation. I mean, we all do, right? It's not like we're completely regulated all the time. That would be crazy. It would be so crazy. So, you know, I've just found things over the past couple of years that I'm like able to rely on and go back to. I have this other piece of paper on our, on the door down to our basement. It's in the kitchen. And it's just this, it's like this little 
I don't know, this like little chart, like, okay, are you feeling this way? And it kind of brings you down this, this pathway of like, yes or no type of thing. Uh-huh. And I'll like glance at it when I'm like having issues and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And it helps you to like refocus and understand the priority in that moment. Like, no, my kid getting mad about not having this cereal is really not a big deal. Like we don't need to be triggered by this. Mm-hmm. They're allowed to have this feeling. And, you know, cause one of the things that is like the most important for me is I never want my kids to feel like they are in charge of my feelings, right? Like I want them to grow up and not have to think that they have to people please and walk and tiptoe over emotions to make other people happy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, I think that's such a huge thing because as a kid, you don't want to think that anything and everything that you do will determine what your parents behavior and mood will be like. Can you imagine the freaking pressure? I can't imagine the pressure of like how I wake up in the morning determining how my husband is going to be, right? Right. That is that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> and it's going to affect me, you know. Yeah, and it's usually unconscious, which is makes it really tricky to do much about, right? right? Because if you chances are if you are managing your husband's emotions, you're not sitting there, some people are, but that's it's very rare that like people are like consciously being like, ah, you know what? I'm sensing that he's irritable. So I think I'm going to make sure that I use a really soothing kind of fawning tone right now. <laughs> we don't do that. It's no. just We just do it. And we usually do it because we learned to do it when we were much younger mm-hmm. and when it was a very unconscious process. And so kids do. they, And it, you know, like to some degree, kids will all people please a little bit because they are trying to figure out what they are in charge of when they're not in charge mm-hmm. of. And so when our moods fluctuate, they do tend to try to recreate that. And the same in the other direction though, right? Like if we have a really big reaction to something, they will likely try to recreate that response from us. And a lot of times what a lot of people refer to as acting out behavior or, you know, they're pushing my buttons or they're testing my limits. Mm-hmm. I actually kind of like to reframe that for parents in terms of of actually thinking of them as safety testing. They're trying to see, ooh, I just did something that made you have a really kind of intense and maybe even like scary, startling mm-hmm. response to me. So now I am, I'm feeling anxious. And again, this is a pretty unconscious process. But so now I'm going to, I feel compelled to revisit that and revisit that and re- and see like, if I do this, are you going to have the same response? Mm-hmm. What if I do this over here? What if I do this over here? And they're actually what they might ultimately be doing unconsciously is trying to push you all the way to the yelling again mm. because they know a yell could be coming and it's very unsettling to be like, when is it going to come? It's much <laughs> more comforting in a weird sort of twisted way to force it to come mm-hmm. because it's like, I, I know mom's going to yell at some point. So I just want to get it over with. Like, I just yeah. want to make her yell. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously that's really unfun for us to have a kid who's anxiously trying to like push us to that place. But I think we often interpret that as manipulation or Mm. being bad on purpose. And it it can look intentional. And in some ways it is, but it's really poor problem solving. It's not actually like I'm trying to manipulate you. Mm -hmm. I get some sort of thrill by making you crazy. It's more (laughs) like I'm anxious and I can't stop. It's like a compulsive thing rather than a really thought out you know, manipulation. Mm -hmm. And so if we notice that that's happening a lot, one of the things I often recommend in that moment, you know, once you realize, oh God, there's a pattern here, like my kid keeps trying to, what feels like trying to push my buttons in this one area is to actually just say out loud, like, you know what? I've noticed that this thing keeps happening and I keep having the same response. Like I keep yelling every time you do that. I think you and I need a reset. Should Mm -hmm. we, let's start over. And now when you do that thing, I'm going to do this instead. And just tell them, tell them Mm -hmm. what you're going to do differently and then do it. And do this again, like pick one thing and just focus on that. Because if you try to do this in all the areas that you're, you know, losing it with your kids, (laughs) you you won't be consistent Mm -hmm. and you won't remember. But it's like, if I know that like when my kid does this specific thing, they always splash and they always throw water out of the tub and I always yell and we get into this like same exact thing every single time. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, guys, you know what I just realized? We've been doing this dance and it doesn't work. You know, every time you do the water, I yell. And so I'm, we're just going to, let's reset. We're going to try something different. From now on, we're going to do bath time. I'm going to put this towel down and I'm going to hang out with you guys. 
And if it starts to get kind of wild and the splashing starts happening again, I'm going to say, I'm going to turn the tub, I'm going to turn the water so it starts to drain. And then we'll we'll wrap up bath time because you're telling me kind of like, oh, I'm done. And then I'm just going to practice doing that, just having that response. So you're sort of setting a limit, but you're going to follow through on your behavior of changing and be really consistent about that. And I think that can often diffuse a lot of those icky dances or power struggles that we can get into with our kids. Yeah. Yeah, totally. All right. So I'm noticing the time. Are you okay for two more questions? Because I have two that I really want to go over. But okay, you're good. All right. The first one is we talked about how uh, kids, you know, vary and how they are going to receive co-regulation, whether it, you know, you can immediately start talking to them about something or if they might need nonverbal and every kid can be different. So are there any strategies that could work on just about any child? So say you have multiple kids at home and you are learning about co-regulating and you're like, okay, I don't really know where to start. I do feel like my kids are all going to be different in how they handle this, but where do I start? Like what's one technique that I can maybe use on every single one of them so that I can learn like while I'm learning to see what they really need. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think if you have four kids that are all dysregulated at the same time, you're (laughs) going to have a hard time co-regulating all of them. So just let's just level set there. Like if you're in like a chaos, if it's just total chaos, don't worry about co-regulating all of them and just focus on regulating yourself. Mm -hmm. That's the probably actually the most useful thing you can do because you can't always get it all right with every single kid you can get it right as close as you can Mm -hmm. with yourself. Mm -hmm. So I really think like just like no, just breathing, just focusing on your breath and taking some deep breaths so that you yourself can try to bring your own fight or flight response down to a more manageable level that you can do no matter what kid you've got, no matter what the situation is, no matter how many kids are are losing it at the same time, just focus on your breathing because one, if you focus on your breathing, you're going to start to calm down. And, and that can act as a co-regulatory mm-hmm. action. Mm-hmm. But two, if you model that, if you model deep breathing in chaotic experiences, over time, your kids are going to likely learn that strategy. Mm-hmm. But also, like, it allows you to kind of be like, I'm going to survive this. Because while co-regulation is really important and useful and helpful, sometimes it's not about, it's not an active thing I do to my child. Right. (laughs) It's a byproduct of you just focusing on yourself and just being like, we'll survive this. Dysregulation may not be a thing we have to fix in this moment. We just trust it will eventually pass because Mm -hmm. feelings come and they go and we will all eventually regulate. And just believing that that is true can really help. So that is, I think, actually probably the most important thing you can do and it works with everyone because it's not about anybody but you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then the last thing I wanted to ask you was, is there anything that we can do as parents, maybe a daily ritual or some sort of activity that we can incorporate into our daily lives with our kids that can help promote like this supportive emotional environment for them? Yeah. I would say connection, like taking a little bit of extra time to do whatever it is you're doing, but to do it with them. You know, for like, if you got a really little kid, maybe it's we're getting dressed or I'm like, I'm I'm getting, I'm dressing you or like, I'm, you know, if you're a really little kid, maybe it's I'm changing your diaper or if it's an older kid, maybe it's, you know, we're, we're sitting together, like doing your homework, like I'm sitting with you while you do your homework, whatever. It doesn't really matter what it is, Mm -hmm. but to be really present and tuned into them and to allow the the task, the thing that we have to usually like get over with to like be the thing we want to be doing. Like mm-hmm. let it last a little longer. Make it feel a little special and connected. Like you really want to be there mm-hmm. <laughs> with them. Mm-hmm. And that we're not just trying to get through the thing so we can have connected time. That we can like have connected time in in anything we're doing. For me, when I do things like that, it helps me cut my own sense of urgency because I think that's a big trigger for me. Like when I'm focused on 
the end results when I'm focused on like getting done with bedtime routine or I'm focused on like getting out the house in the morning or I'm focused on what I have to do next. My body is with my kids, but my head is not. Mm-hmm. And so when I can like come back to the present and just be in the moment with them doing whatever it is that we're doing and f- really kind of, I might still have an agenda in like the larger sense. Like I know that we have to do this and then we'll have to do this, but like in this moment, we're just doing this. And allowing it to just take a little extra time and just be present with our kids. I think that that, it goes a long way to fill their cup. And it goes a long way to fill our cup too, actually. Mm-hmm. I think like we talk a lot about filling our kids' cup and making them feel like, you know, we're you know we're depositing, you know, into their banks, or whatever. But, and which is important and great and we should do those things. But like those same things fill our cup. Too. And like usually when we're snapping at our kids or we're having a hard time with the, their big feelings or we have a kid who's really tough and gets dysregulated all the time and like we're tired of trying to figure out what's going to work for them in this moment. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're, chances are our cup's pretty empty. Mm-hmm. And so remember that connecting with our kids is like it's a, it's a twofer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I have whenever you kind of feel So one of our kids will act out more often when they are missing that connection piece. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's like you get so far behind on it because you're, you know, whatever, life. And you're like, oh, wait, I know what they need. They need that like one-on-one connection. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you try to do it as much as you can and life gets the best of you. But it's um, it definitely makes a huge, huge difference. And even if it's like five minutes, it's if all you have is five minutes, that one-on-one undivided attention where they're able to do whatever they want to do with you. Yeah. It's like, it's huge. Um, Okay. So I want to, I feel like we're going to have to like talk again at some point to like (laughs) all the other things that we wanted to talk about. So two questions for you that have nothing to do with the discussion today. So the first question is, if you could give one piece of advice to moms, what would it be? That you have a lot more inner knowing than you are made to believe. I think we live in a world that really is motivated, what consciously or unconsciously, to like make parents think that they don't know how to raise their kid and that they mm-hmm. need to buy these products and to follow all these people and follow all these strategies and read, memorize all these scripts. And it's like that takes us out of our inner knowing. Mm-hmm. And that, like, really, you and your kid are built to figure it out. And it, that doesn't mean that you are built for it to be easy. That's not at all what I'm saying. It's just that you have inner knowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Last question is, if you can make one meal for your family that everyone would eat that's relatively quick and easy, what would it be? Ooh. You know, I would have never thought this, but it literally just came to my mind. It's like I had a flashback from when I was a kid. <laughs> but we used to go to this like food court and there was like this place called One Potato Two and I loved it. And now I'm like, oh, that's my answer. It's like loaded baked potato, like where you get to pick all your toppings mm. and like everyone gets to make their own thing. Yeah. I love that. I wish my, I feel like half my kids would do that and the other half would be like, ew, potatoes. I know. You yeah. Know? That's the problem. It's like I don't actually know if my kids would eat it, but I would be really happy about that dinner. Right. <laughs> and I feel like anything with kids where they can pick and whatever toppings goes on it is yes. always going to be a win. But yeah, I have not had a loaded baked potato in so long. I feel like that is something I need to put on my dinner list. It's missing from my life right now. Yeah. I'm glad you asked that yeah. question because I definitely am going to do that. Yeah. And <laughs> one of the things, I'm sure you've done this, I feel like I'm late to the game on this, but instead of using sour cream, you just use like plain Greek yogurt. I love that. Yeah. And I'm like, I've never thought about this. And I love Greek yogurt. Yeah. So that's great. Delicious. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule and life to talk with us about this really important topic. And maybe you'll come back on sometime soon. I would love to. Anytime. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.